Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. I love those songs, Mark, and the, uh, the song you sang from the 121st Psalm, I lift up my eyes to the Lord, from whence cometh my help, my help cometh from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. And it goes on to say, he who keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. And I think of that uh, passage often, as I think as the, as the psalmist looked into the hills around Jerusalem. He said, I look to the hills, from whence comes my help. The idea was not so much my help comes from the hill, but he looked at the hills around him and he saw the high places, the altars to pagan gods. And he said, look at those hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth. Amen? That's why we're here today, because we have such a wonderful God who's been so good to us. He loves you and he's blessed you. And uh, we want to thank you for coming to share today. We have a guest speaker with us this morning. Jeremy Clark is the director of Grace Ministries International. It's a mission organization that our church has partnered with uh, since the beginning of our uh, foundation as a church. And I've gotten to know Jeremy since I'm on the board as well, but just in the times he's been with us, we supported he and his family when they went out to uh, Costa Rica as missionaries about 14 years ago or so. It's been been a while. And uh, it's just been great to have Jeremy staying with us. And he told me the other day he had a, he had a dream. I think, it, is it fair to say a vision? No. <laughs> and he said, you asked me before I spoke to share something interesting about myself. And he said, what I said was that I shopped at Aldi stores, A-L-D-I, on three different continents. Wow, Jeremy. <laughs> what else can we say? <laughs> Come on up, Jeremy. And it's so good to have you with us and represent the mission and also, more importantly, to represent God's Word, sharing with us the message this morning. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jeremy. We just thank you for his commitment to you, his love for missions, and Lord, uh, just the joy of uh, serving along with him as a church. We partner with them. And so we ask your blessing on him as he opens God's Word to us today and shares about the mission work around the world. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Well, good morning. It is really good to be here with you. And uh, first of all, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for your support as a church of Grace Ministries International. Um, thank you for your financial support. Thank you for sending teams out. Thank you for sending missionaries. Thank you for loaning to us your pastor to be on our board. So I just want to say thanks. And I appreciate that. Um, in your bulletin... You'll have a brochure that looks like this. It's called Update, Vision 2023 Update. And you have my permission to read this brochure during the entire sermon. You can read it two or three times if you like to. It's okay. You don't have to listen to me. You can tune me out. And in fact, here's another bonus I'll give you. Okay? You get, there's some contact information in the back. We've got our website. We've got our, you can, you can find us on Facebook. And if you want to sneak your uh, smartphone out, okay? Men's okay. Wives don't nudge them. You can t- you can check out our website. You can go to our Facebook page. Lots of useful information there that you can find about GMI. So you can follow what we're doing, follow uh, follow what the Lord's doing uh, through us around the world. 
This brochure, you probably have seen something like this before if you're in regular contact with or you're kind of following GMI, whether it be through social media or you're getting our mailings and such. Uh, back in February 2013, uh, the Board of Grace Ministries International adopted a 10-year strategic plan that just says what we want GMI to look like in 10 years. And I, I, everywhere I go, I talk about this. You probably have heard this before. That's okay. Become experts in it. You're, you're our partners with us, and I want you to know what we're doing and where we're going. In fact, I guess what this brochure is, it's kind of like a prospectus, right? It shows uh, what your investment has been going towards over the past few years. And Vision 2023 is simply this. By the year 2023, we, we, want, to have had, we want to have opened up eight new fields where we have residential missionaries serving the Lord. And we want to, of course, then if we're going to open up new fields, we need to have missionaries going out. And we want to recruit 16 U.S.-based missionary families and missionaries that go out with us by 2023 to help us on our existing fields, but also to work in new fields. Um, the other part of that is is that uh, we have international missionaries who are serving with us, like uh, the Mongos who are with you at your missions conference. How many of you guys got a chance to hear or meet or spend time with the Mongos? Okay, incredible family. And that's an example of the kinds of families that we are working with around the world and we're raising support for so they can go and, and, um, and uh, help us open up new fields. In fact, as I think about it, um, our three new fields that we've opened up since starting Vision 2023 would be Nicaragua, uh, the island of Bonaire next to Curaçao, and Paraguay. Uh, those are three fields where we have international, non-U.S.-based missionaries working. In Nicaragua, we have a Costa Rican couple, Emiliano Raquel. In uh, Paraguay, we have, well, we have some U.S. missionaries there too, but in Paraguay, we have a, uh, a family that's also international. Um, Alex Goulart is from Uruguay. His wife, Delta, is from Mexico. In Bonaire, we have Carlos and Denise Brunk, who originally were from the ministry in Curaçao uh, many years uh, before that. And what's in intriguing to me is that we have these international missionaries that we're working with, and all three of these missionary families I just mentioned to you, uh, these these fields have been open up for what now two two and a half years probably. Every one of these families has a church which is meeting in their home. Twenty five thirty people, you know, uh, in some cases are coming in their in their homes. In the case of Emiliano and Raquel in uh, Nicaragua, they have I don't know a hundred people come through their house every single week in different groups and Bible studies and such. And we're building some uh, building a church uh, on, on some property we have there now in Nicaragua. But that's the kind of things that are happening. Um, around the world and the kinds of things that you're investing in. Now, having said that, if we're looking to open up new fields, some of the things that were kind of exciting this last year, I just want to touch on real quick before I, um, I give you a challenge as we think about our relationship with the Lord and our duty and our responsibility as believers. Um, this last year, you know, we, well, not just last year, but we're always thinking about where to go next. This last year, you know, we've taken survey trips to Panama from Costa Rica, uh, two survey trips, as a matter of fact, to Panama. Emiliano uh, Raquel, who I just mentioned, who are serving in Nicaragua with GMI, uh, they just took a survey trip to Honduras for us in December, just to, just to see what that country looks like, to see uh, what, the, <clears throat> what the possibilities might be there. Uh, Kennedy Simtoe, who's a Tanzanian missionary with us, he and his wife Sophia have been in, in uh, Mozambique for probably close to three months this last year, doing more survey work and ministry work <clears throat> there in, um, in Mozambique to see about opening that up as a new field. Joseph Asong, he would have been here at your missions conference a couple of years ago. Uh, he spent the first part of November uh, in the country of Ghana. Joseph and his wife Emanuela and their two kids, they were back in Cameroon on their home assignment. 
uh, visiting family and friends and such, but they spent, or Joseph spent a couple weeks over in Ghana doing some survey work there. So you see, we're always trying to push and see where the Lord might go next. In fact, the philosophy that we have is when we're going into new fields, I'm sorry, when we're taking these survey trips, it's not so much to answer the question of whether or not we should go to a new place, but it's to answer the question, how do we go about doing it? And how do we go about sharing God's grace with the world? And that's what we want to do as a mission. We want to share God's grace with the world. And we want to do that by sending out missionaries, and that's what we do. We're a missionary sending organization, and we want to send missionaries out who will go and work with local believers to facilitate evangelism, planning churches, um, training and discipleship, and just sharing God's love. And we can we count it a success when we're able to train those we're working with in whatever field to go out and do the work of ministry. And in fact, we're able to encourage them to go and be missionaries themselves. What a blessing that is. So that is what you are a part of. And that's some of the, those are some of the things that are happening around the world. If you would this morning, turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 14. We're going to start there. I want to challenge you a little bit this morning. And I, and I asked the question, the sermon title is, Who Wants It More? My wife and I recently found this store near where we live in Grand Rapids or outside of Grand Rapids. It's an auction store, I guess. It's a place where you can do some online bidding and and, uh, and uh, bid on different items at the store. You go and inspect them first, of course. And then on Wednesdays, they have this auction. So last Wednesday was our first time to take a look at this auction online and sign up, you know, and to look at the different items and such. And and so I saw, I was looking through all these things, and, you know, and, and, and maybe you don't think you need something until you see it. Then you think, that'd be kind of fun to have. So I saw these gel pillows. And it, it, I guess they're supposed to keep you really cool, right? You know, you don't have to worry about flipping the pillow over. It just automatically keeps you cool and nice and comfy and your head fits in there just right and everything and memory foam and all that stuff. And I thought that'd be really fun to have a couple of pillows. Okay, they also had this thing like some kind of, I don't know, this cuddle pad, whatever that is. I don't know. That sounds like a throwaway to me. I just want the pillow, right? So I get online and I, it's only seven bucks. That was the first bid. I'll go to nine and someone goes to 11. I can do 13. Call my wife up. I say, Andrea, how's the bidding going online? It's going okay, but there's this really annoying guy who keeps bidding up these pillows I'm trying to get. We got him. Look, if I have to spend six bucks so we can have like 20 more years of laughs, worth it, huh? But it was kind of fun to do, and I guess it's kind of a competition. Who wanted it more? One of my favorite things to do throughout the year is coach my kids' Little League baseball. My son Jason's Little League baseball team and my daughter's uh, uh, Lydia. Uh, Jason's 11, Lydia's 9, but uh, her softball team. And uh, it's just fun. I love the competition. I love being out there with the kids, teaching them the game. I like, uh, I just, I, I like, I just like the excitement of it. It's fun. And you know, it's a ministry, it's a ministry time too. I, I enjoy being somewhere where I'm going to have a chance to interact with people who aren't in, you know, in my office, in my church or whatever, you know, and outside of the GMI context or whatever. And it's fun to be with even unbelievers and, and be with a lot of parents and people who are in difficult situations and, and who I can, you know, have a chance to minister to. That's a fun thing for me to be able to do and be involved in. It's just also fun watching the kids, you know, and, and my son Jason, I, I love taking him to the batting cage and, and, and ramping up the speed and throwing, you know, about three-fourths of my ability to throw to him and such and just make him just hit and, 
and, uh, you know, and, and, and trying to develop his skills and such. And I remember a couple of springs ago, um, we were in a league, a 10-year-old league, and he was only nine, so he's kind of bumped up a little bit. And so he was up against some stiffer competition. Uh, our team was terrible. I think we won two games all year, but uh, this is one of those games we won, I'm about to tell you about. So Jason's up to bat, and he's, he's facing um, one of the top pitchers in the league. This kid had not allowed a run all year long. And Jason, it's down to the last uh, last out, as a matter of fact. Uh, we're down by uh, two runs. It's 10 to 9. I'm the first base coach there, and I'm watching Jason at bat. And he, like he always does, he gets himself in the hole, 0-2, takes a ball or two, fouls off several pitches. The kid has 11 pitch at bat. Okay, against the top pitcher in the league, or one of the top three pitchers in the league. Finally, he walks. It was great. Got himself the first base. Just the, one of the best at-bats I've ever seen. And he's my son, so i got to say that, right? Yeah. Okay. So, anyway, he steals second. Couple, another wild pitch goes to third. In the meantime, another runner on second base has scored. So now the game's all tied up. Another wild pitch. Jason goes home. Warning run. Who wants it more? The pitcher was in tears, you know. His first run he'd given up all year. I mean, a great pitcher and all, but then it was fun for our team, fun for Jason. But it's fun to be in that that competition. It's fun to to want to win and want to do well, and then have things go right and succeed. You know, of course, going along with that, you find some times where you don't succeed, and it's kind of miserable. It kind of stinks, you know. You feel kind of bad about it. My daughter Berea, uh, she's in Taekwondo. She's 13. And I uh, remember when we, she was uh, doing this demonstration at a, at, a, at a park, you know, with her Taekwondo uh, team, and she had her red belt with a black stripe on it, not quite a black belt like she is now. And and uh, uh, she anyway, she's 12 years old, and she does this uh, stunt where she um, jumps over three people and breaks a board, you know, on the other side. And and uh, she gets up and she does that this demonstration, trips over the first girl, tumbles over him right in her face. You know, it was she was about holding back those tears. She gets back up. She does it again. And then now this is kind of a staple of her uh, when she goes. We, did admit, we took a mission trip this last uh, summer, you know, with a Taekwondo, this part of her Taekwondo team, and does this trick all the time. But you sometimes have to fail. and Sometimes those things are going to happen. This morning, I want to talk to you about sharing the gospel. And I want to look at some examples from Scripture. Some examples you probably have not thought of, but you and I have an obligation to share the gospel. Okay. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if he saved you, if you believe that um, you have in fact offended a holy God, and because of that, you need to repair your relationship because you've chosen by your sin to be separated from him internally. That's what you've chosen to do, like it or not. And because of that, we need to have that, re- that relationship reconciled. And we know that Jesus Christ, of course, came to earth. He is God. He came to earth. He lived a perfect life, a sinless life, and became that sacrifice of sin for us, something that we can never do for ourselves. And so we put our faith in that. We believe it. We trust it. God, we humble ourselves before you. We confess that we're sinners. We know we've offended you. We accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And if you've done that, then you are a Christian. You are a believer. You are someone who will be going to heaven someday. You'll be with God. You'll be in his presence forever. But if you've not done that, or if you know people who haven't, and I'm guessing that's probably the case, in fact, that's why we do missions, right? But if you know people who have not done that, they're not going to be with the Lord forever. They're going to be out of His presence forever. They will be in hell forever. So we have an obligation. We have an obligation to share this blessing that you and I have. 
Isaiah chapter 14, give you a little context here. The very first uh, three, two verses, I guess, um, it's kind of a, uh, you know, a, a, a long range view that um, the prophet Isaiah is giving and saying, you know, uh, telling Israel, look, guys, God will restore his covenant with you. He's going to restore this covenant, bring you back in the land. Things will be OK sometime, you know, in the future. Of course, this is a very long range view of things. And then he goes on and starting in verse uh, three through about um, verse eight. He's trying to he, the prophet Isaiah communicates to them some more immediate relief. At this time, they're under the reign of a king, Zennacherib, and, and Zennacherib became the king in about 705 B.C., which is about 17 years or so after uh, um, Israel, the northern kingdom, was taken into captivity or was, was, was sacked, was, was defeated. And so they're still, they still ex- are experiencing this pain of being, you know, taken into captivity, being conquered and such. And so this king is a, is a, is a, of course, you know, he's a, he's a pagan. He's a diabolical king. He wants to reign. He wants to rule with an iron fist. And, and, and so all will fear him. And in fact, we read here just that very thing. that He, re, he, uh, he was the king of uh, Babylon, it says here, but he was actually the king of Assyria. And Babylon was a vassal of Assyria. So it would be accurate to say he was the king of Babylon. As you look here at the verses, um, verses 4 through, um, through 8, we see uh, descriptions of his rule. And how he ruled all the nations around the area, and he also, of course, ruled Israel. And we can also uh, learn from the scripture that he tried to attack and defeat and capture Jerusalem twice during his reign. We also learn from the scriptures from Second Kings chapter nineteen, verse thirty-seven, that uh, this king was a he was a worshiper of his god Nisroch, and that's where he went to his temple to worship. Um, this false god, this false deity, this one who we thought would bring him blessing, I suppose. But maybe even greater than that, or the greater sin, was the fact that he worshipped himself. And if we look here at verses 12 through 14, we see a description of the king of Babylon, Zennacherib, most likely. But we see in an unusual sense, we see that God, through Isaiah, is actually saying, you, Zennacherib, are pretty much like Satan himself. Okay? We see the same kind of uh, use of Scripture and prophecy in Ezekiel 28, where through the prophet Ezekiel, the king of Tyre is described in a similar sense to Satan himself. I mean, that's, that's quite, a, it's quite a derision, isn't it? It says, how far, how, how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Now, this is a description of Satan. This is a description of his pride and his fall. But it's also evidently a description of the pride of this, of this king, Zennacherib, who wanted to conquer the world and wanted to rule the world and thought of himself as a god. Now, that gives you a little bit of background and context. But again... The point of this is, and I want to go back and show you some examples of other people on the other side of the fence, people who might oppose us or be against us, who are also fighting a battle in this world and have desires of their own. And the question again is, who wants it more when it comes to evangelism? I want you to listen to these chilling verses here, verses 9 through 11, talking about kings and Ekron. says this, Hell from beneath 
is excited about you. To meet you at your coming. It stirs up the dead for you. All the chief ones of the earth. It has raised up from their thrones all the kings of the nations. They all shall speak and say to you, Have you also become as weak as we? Have you become like us? Your your pomp is brought down to Sheol and the sound of your stringed instruments. The maggot is spread under you and worms cover you. Okay. Sheol, the place of the dead. The place where those who did not honor God or want to have a relationship with went waiting their judgment. When Hades is eventually cast in the lake of fire according to Revelation chapter 20. You see what it says here, verse 9. Hell from beneath is excited about you. Those kings who probably lived were contemporaries of Zennacherib were, were all stirred up here and they were all excited about this, about this king who would come to join them. They knew the truth. They know no one's going to live forever. They know they can't be a god. They now know the truth that there is only one true God and they could not wait for him to come. All those who were awaiting their judgment in this perpetual state of decay outside of the presence of God were excited to meet this king. They could not wait for him to get there. If you go on and read verses 16 through 20, you see, you see all the, uh, the questions they're asking of him and all the ways they would, they would make fun of him and they would taunt him. They had this planned out when he would come. When you think about this passage, and you think about some of the applications here, I asked in the beginning of the sermon, who wants it more? When we think about our passion for reaching the lost, I have to ask first, do we have a passion that surpasses those who are dead and waiting judgment, excited for others to join them? Think about that. These other dead kings and rulers couldn't wait for this guy to come and be with them. The Apostle Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19 and verse 20. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? For you are glory and joy. The Apostle Paul had an eternal perspective and he looked forward to being in God's presence but more so than looking forward to just being in God's presence, he looked forward to others being with him, who, uh, whom he led to Jesus Christ, for them to be in the presence of God with him. Now, for many of us, it's not a stretch to say we look forward to being with the Lord someday, though we do everything we can to avoid it. We don't want to die. We're not ready yet. Okay, I get that. You know, it's painful. Lots of unknowns. People are going to be hurt if we leave him, leave him behind and all that sort of thing. And that's understandable. But Paul had this eternal perspective Wanting others to be in the presence of God with Him. How about you? When you think about those around you, do you consider them, do you consider that they might be able to be in the presence of God with you? Are they just another person you see? Another face you see? Another person you talk to? Another neighbor you have that you just hope to have have a nice, friendly relationship with as long as you happen to live in that house? Or a coworker you really hope you don't cross too much so you can just get along with them as you look forward to retirement or whatever it might be. Who are these people? Do you want them to be in the presence of God with you someday? Do you have that passion? Or does the other side 
Those who are awaiting the dead to come join them, are they more passionate about receiving uh, uh, unbelievers to themselves than you are about seeing people come to know Jesus Christ as Savior? Who wants it more? It is a battle. We have to think about it that way. Moving over now to Luke chapter 16. Another picture from the dead, as a matter of fact. A little bit different scenario. A little bit different attitude, too. But I think the challenge will be the same as you think about this passage in the context of, of going out and sharing the gospel with the lost. Luke chapter 16, we'll start in verse 19. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried out, he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of, my, of his finger in, in water and cool my tongue for I am in torment in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he's comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there's a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot. Nor can those... From there, pass to us. You see, the rich man was understanding his predicament. He's getting to familiar with his surroundings here. He's not getting out. There's no more mercy left. He rejected that while he was on earth. He's understanding that no one's going to be able to comfort him and come and visit him from the other side, from the good side, from the side of those who honor God and wanted to have a relationship with him. So he's stuck. And he realizes this. And we go on and we see in verse 27, then he said, I beg you, therefore, uh, Father, that you would send, uh, send him, Lazarus, to my father's house. For I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Who wants it more? Again, we have another unbeliever. We have a guy who's dead. He's already beginning, he's already waiting for judgment, but he's already suffering the torment of judgment. And so here he is, and he's asking Abraham to send Lazarus, you know, resurrect Lazarus. He's, he's getting it, that I'm not going to be the one that's going to get resurrected. I can't, I'm not getting myself out of this. But at least send Lazarus. I mean, resurrect him. He's a good guy, right? Make him come forth and go then and tell my father's house about all these things that had happened. Or all these things, you know, about, about, uh, you know, about God and having a relationship with him. I don't want anyone else to suffer like this. Again, the question is, who wants it more? You or this rich man who's already rejected God and he sees, the, feels the torment. He understands the reality of what it is, what it's going to be like to have an eternity without God. And he wants other people to go. Somebody, send someone. Just go, Abraham, send someone out there that they can go and tell my, my family about this place so they don't come here. Abraham's response is interesting too. Verse 29, Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Father, and he said, No, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes from the dead, they will repent. 
But he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded. The one rise from the dead. Interesting comments here from Abraham, and very applicable to us as well. Even as we think about, do we really want to see people saved? Do we really live and behave in a way that we want to see people saved? Or are we getting outdone? Now, the application here is Abraham says to him in this, in this, uh, in this uh, account that Jesus gives us, they have Moses and the prophets. Now, when you think about what Moses and the prophets represent, that, that's the scriptures. That's God's word. You and I have an obligation to be able to be familiar with God's word in such a way that we can communicate God's word and share it. This isn't a mystery. It's not a secret. It's written. There are billions of copies. You and I have an obligation to be able to become familiar with it, to know it, to understand it. First, so we can have a relationship with the Lord that's honoring to Him, something that pleases Him. But that's all it is, is kind of self-centered. More so, it's so we can know God in such a way, we can know the Gospel in such a way, we can understand it in such a way, that we will be able to effectively communicate it because we want other people to have a relationship with Him just as we have. Abraham's comments here kind of talk about the sufficiency of the Scriptures, the sufficiency of God's Word, the sufficiency of what God is communicating through His Word to be able to use and go and proclaim it and talk about it and share it with other people. But we've got to want it. Romans chapter 9. One more example, maybe an example that's a bit more uh, familiar to us. A bit more straightforward, I suppose, in our thinking. Though it's helpful to kind of have the perspective from the other side of the dead, I suppose, as we think about who wants it more. But now we look at Paul and the Apostle Paul and, and what it was that he said about his lost countrymen. And we let's take a look here. Starting in verse 1 of Romans chapter 9, I tell you the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience also bearing witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I wish that my myself, I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen according to the flesh. So what Paul is saying is, I wish I could take upon that curse in their stead. I wish I could take upon that curse so they don't have to do so. Okay? In other parts of Scripture, other parts of Paul's writings, when he talks about those who are being cursed, he talks about those who are not being or not able to say that Jesus is Lord. He talks about those who deny Jesus Christ. He talks about those who might preach a gospel that is not the gospel that we believe here, that the one that, that, that saves us and brings us into a relationship with Christ. Those are the people who are accursed. And Paul is saying, I wish I were that so that my countrymen could all be saved. Now, Paul, of course, is speaking hyperbole. And you and I can look at that and we can say, well, yeah, that's really not possible, though. You know, it's, it, Paul, you, you can't sacrifice yourself for the, for, for the nation of Israel. You're not sinless. Um, you can't be that sacrifice. You can't really be accursed in their stead. So this is just superfluous hyperbole that you're speaking. And I know you're saying that I tell the truth in Christ and I'm not lying and all that stuff. But, you know, I, okay, none of us can really do that. So what's the big deal? Just think about Paul's life here for a second. Yeah, he knew he couldn't be a curse for his countrymen. But just think about the sacrifices he did make so that others would have a chance to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
I mean, first, you think about what he gave up to become a Christian to begin with. All of his relationships. Okay? I'm sure he had plenty of them from the days he grew up and learning, you know, under the, the scribes and the Pharisees and so on and so forth and, and, and becoming jealous, uh, zealous, excuse me, in his uh, pursuit of Judaism. He gave up those relationships. And he didn't go into much of a relationship with the early church. They didn't trust him. He's in no man's land. He gave it all up. He gave up the stability of living in a home that he could always return to. He was always somewhere, living somewhere else, living with other people, having to deal with those kinds of tensions and all the things that come with that. Traveling constantly. He gave that up. He gave up his uh, ability to really make a steady income. You know, of course, he made tents and all, and I can't imagine that was probably the most lucrative business that he could have probably found himself in. He got by. You know, we have, uh, when he writes his letters, he, he's giving thanks to some churches for supporting him, and he has to rely upon that as part of his sustenance. But he gave up some stability. He gave up security. What else did he give up? He gave up his health. Ultimately, he gave, gave up his life, but not as a sacrifice for their sins, of course. But he gave it up for the sake of the gospel. So even falling short of actually being able to be a curse for someone else, we see Paul's sacrifice for the sake of the gospel. And so the question again, as we think about who wants it more, uh, if you really want it more, you're going to have to sacrifice something to succeed and accomplish that goal, to pursue it, to go out there and share the gospel with others, to be a part of that. It's not comfortable. There's something always to give. And by the way, when I'm preaching this sermon here, when I'm sharing this with you, I'm speaking to myself. I don't just live in missions world and I, I can't just say that that's my entire, you know, gospel experience and, and that's it. Hey, I've done my job. That would be ridiculous. I've got to live here in the States as well as you do. Or wherever I go. I have to share the gospel. It's, it's, so I'm speaking to myself as well I'm speak, as I'm speaking to you when I give this message. But you know, one of the things that I'm concerned about and, 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 you know, you go to, you listen to sermons on the radio or you listen to, you listen, you go to churches and you listen to sermons and such and we talk in, uh, amongst our Christian groups and all. You know, it seems like we're very concerned about how we shouldn't share the gospel. We're very concerned about the ways in which we should not do it. You know, Paul in Philippians chapter 1 verses 15 through 18. He was talking about those who preach the gospel for their own gain, their own benefit, their own financial wherewithal, I suppose. And so he would, he would talk about these people, and, and of course it was an embarrassment to Christianity. Of course it wasn't the right motive these people had to be able to gain for themselves as they spoke about Christ. But at the end of it all, Paul kind of concludes that I'm glad that Christ is at least getting preached. If Paul can have that attitude about those who are actively seeking their own gain through preaching the gospel... I want to free you up a little bit. I want to let you know that it's okay to make mistakes when you're sharing the gospel. It's okay that you don't do it perfectly. It would be very easy for us to make list after list after list about what you should not do when you're sharing the gospel, how to not go about it. You know, I tell you, if I'm in a church and I have someone there that's uh, sharing the gospel and and they're doing a bad job, boy, that's something to work with though, right? At least they have the desire to do so, huh? And you can refine that. You can help them along. You can encourage them. And you can help them refine that, uh, that ability and such. 
Don't, we, we can't wait until we're perfect at sharing the gospel. We need to go out and do it. Of course, the first step is knowing what the gospel is, knowing the God it is that we're sharing about. But I encourage you to go out and do it. And you know, some, some of the things that we might think, uh, might go through our head is that, you know, if I'm sharing the gospel, I don't want to be too harsh. And I don't want to be, too, I don't want to offend someone. But nor do I want to walk away from the conversation just talking about spirituality in such in general terms and not coming in. You know, there's all kinds of concerns that we have. I suppose that maybe we can we can deal with that fear that we have by just asking ourselves what our motive is. When we're talking to someone, when we're confronting them, when we're dealing with them, when when we're addressing the gospel with them, what is our motive? Now, is it a check off something off of a list to make, you know, that we have to share the gospel? So that's what I'm going to do today. Is it to make ourselves feel better that we've had this conversation? Is it to win an argument? That could be a motivation too. Is it just just because we think we have to do it? It's a rule. It's an obligation. You know, chances are, if those are our motivations, we're probably going to come across too harsh at times or too soft at other times. But if our motivation is really that we don't want to see people suffer eternally without Jesus Christ, if our motivation is that we do want to see them in the presence of the Lord someday, if that's what we want to see happen, if we love our neighbor enough to want the best for them, just as God has given to us, I don't think I worry too much about those questions about being too harsh or too soft. It's all going to work itself out. Because you're loving your neighbor. You're doing what God would want you to do. If I could just leave you this challenge I want to challenge you to want to share the gospel more than Satan and those who would want to reject God and, and, and it, then, then he would want to draw people away from the Lord. It is a battle. It's a spiritual struggle. We read Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20 this morning. And so we need to look at it like that. We're not in it to tie. We're not in it to lose. We're in it because... We want to win, and we want to do it for the Lord Jesus Christ, who has given Himself for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for Your Word, and just all the examples that You have in there to motivate us to do so many different things, whether it be um, just uh, loving our neighbor in, in, in physical ways or tangible ways, or, or sharing the Gospel. Father, we pray that we would be motivated out of your love and we would understand that as best we can this side of heaven so that we would be motivated then to share that love with other people, Father. I pray that you'll help us understand your grace all the more so that we would understand the significance of it and the impact of it so that others, we would want others to know that as well, Father. I pray that this church or, you know, any of us as believers that we don't keep this a secret or keep this as a blessing that we just uh, view as something personal unto ourselves, but something that you want everyone in this world to experience. And we thank you, Lord, for giving us the ability to share and giving us the privilege it is, the privilege to serve you, Lord, and accept our, our acts of service, albeit they're imperfect. And, and, uh, Lord, just to continue to refine us and convict us, Father. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for coming today and sharing us with the service. Jeremy, come on up here. We're going to ask you to come out with me so I can greet you in the back here. You got the flyer in your bulletin.
that we want you to read about Grace Ministry International. Continue to pray for our work, our missionaries, the work that we're doing. And, you know, last week, uh, Josh shared with us uh, thoughts from uh, Peter about the fact that the Lord is coming again. And even those scoffers, remember we talked about that said, this has been going on for so long, uh, is he really coming back? And Josh encouraged us last week on this topic, the Lord is coming again. And today we've been encouraged about the importance of sharing the good news of salvation of Jesus Christ. Some years ago, Jeremy, we had a mission theme, uh, each one reach one. And I think of that every year when we have our missions conference. And I would like to encourage you today, is there one person? One person in your life that God has placed in your life, in your neighborhood, in your family, at work, your school, wherever it is, is there one person that God has put on your heart that you have a burden for that they do not know Christ as Savior? And are you willing to love them, to come alongside, share the gospel, and let God use you? Each one of us, each one, reach Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the privilege of of sharing your word, the privilege of sharing the gospel. We thank you for the privilege of joining our hands with our brothers and sisters around the world who have met even this day. And we are one with them. We thank you, Lord. We have challenges. We have opportunities. And together as a family of God, may we be faithful to you. And Father, I pray for myself, for each of us here today, that that one person who you have put on our heart, and you have, that we would be open to sharing the wonderful news of salvation, forgiveness for sin, joy through the Holy Spirit, the hope of the resurrection, and spending eternity in your presence, celebrating, serving, worshiping, and being with you in the family of God. May we be faithful. May we take the challenge we've been given today. May we take it to heart. And may we be willing to open our mouths and to share the good news of Jesus Christ. We've gathered in his name today and we leave this place rejoicing in his name. And all God's people can say it together. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for coming. Join us again next Sunday. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. May I say one thing? Sure. If there's anyone here who would like to talk to any of us about accepting Christ today, please come down and talk to Jim or talk to Jeremy. Talk to me. Uh, if, if any of you this morning have made a decision or would like to make a decision for Christ, please do it now. Don't wait. Do it today. Thank you.